time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, (laughs) welcome to episode 15 of The Right Conversations. Wow, 15. Damn, we're just going, aren't we? Today's episode is called A Conversation About Kink, Drugs, and Non-Monogamy with my dear friend, John Romanello. And this episode is a long time in the making. Uh, Whenever I do an AMA on Instagram, I get asked about John. How do you know each other? Did you do X, Y, and Z together? Uh, We refer a lot of people back and forth to each other professionally. We also share friends. Um, John is one of the most unique humans that I have had the pleasure of knowing. Uh, He is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant writer, uh, a brilliant business person, and an incredible communicator. And professionally, He is an author and consultant. He helps individuals and businesses overall just simply improve their communication. And through his platform on Instagram, he publishes a lot of sex-positive content around kink, non-monogamy, polyamory, and really tries to get rid of the shame that so many of us carry around sex. Sound aligned to what I do? Indeedy. Um, So we will have a conversation today about lots of stuff. Uh, We get into sex parties. We get into how we met. Um, So yeah, without any further ado, here's a conversation about kink, drugs, and non-monogamy with John Romanello. John, I'm so happy you're here. I am happy to be here. This is very exciting. Congrats on the podcast. A long time coming. Truly, truly. And could not think of a, a better person to talk about all of this with. That's very um, I, I love that we're... Do- so this is a really cool way for the behind the scenes thing is uh, we are recording. This is episode 15 of your podcast. Mm-hmm. At the time we are recording, zero episodes have been released. So you're putting them all in the can, which I think is a very responsible thing to do. And then Thank you'll... You. Is it, are you going to, are you going to binge watch? Are you going to Netflix it? Or are they going to come out one week at a time? I think we're going to Netflix it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I don't know. Yeah. Not a lot of people do that with podcasts. Okay, cool. I know it's risky. It's risky. Yeah, it's, a, it's a gamble, but I, if people love having you in their brains then I think that's very cool. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes when I get into a podcast, I, I listen to podcasts rarely. I, because I need, um, joint visual stimulus like i could watch something mm-hmm. so the only time i can really listen to a podcast and absorb is when i'm in movement so i listen to them on my walks with my dog and i listen to them at the gym and so when i get into a podcast i will listen to an hour you know tuesday on, during my leg workout and then on thursday when it's time for some other body part 
I, if it's a weekly release and I'm caught up, I have to find something else. So it's, this is a cool, I could listen to all of you. I could go through two weeks of training. Yeah. And get, this is good. This is, I'll just have to exercise self-control, which is, <laughs> which is not the best. I'm not the best at that with regard to content. So yeah, this is me cool. neither. Yeah. Thank um, you. It's, yeah. it's exciting. And I tried to, you know, as everybody listening will know by now, uh, each kind of chunk of four episodes tries to hit like one mental health, one oh. sex related, one, you know, relationship related. Um, and we're talking about everything. We've talked about gender fluidity. We've talked about ketamine. We've talked about the nervous system. Like we are just diving into anything and everything. So I guess uh, let's, <laughs> let's start with how you and I met. Um, yeah. I know we've been getting, we both do these AMAs and shares and things on Instagram. And mm -hmm. one of the questions I've been getting so many of lately uh, are different forms of how do you and John know each other? So, so uh, we, there was, we didn't meet through like kink or anything. We met through a business event. It was um, Chris and um, what was the event? Jen, it was, uh, it was Chris and Jen's Unfair um, Advantage Live. Yes. So Unfair Advantage Live is a like a like a business coaching event. It is mostly for people who run their own businesses to go and learn the ins and outs of creating opportunity for and leveraging earned PR. And that's what Chris and Jen do or did. They actually recently sold that company and had yeah. a, a nice exit. Um, it was in New York. It was on, in Hell's Kitchen somewhere. In Hell's yeah, it was Kitchen. at the Yotel. The hotel on 42nd and 10th. And so for those of you listening who are not New Yorkers, this is how we speak to each other. We use cross streets. So 42nd yes. Street and 10th Ave, which is on the west side of Manhattan, conveniently located four blocks from my apartment. I lived on 38th and 10th. And Chris invited me to this event <clears throat> and I go. And I was speaking to, I was just, you know, milling about the event, mingling and, and chatting, chitting. And I was speaking to Amber Lillystrom, mm -hmm. and she had followed my content and knew that I was poly. At this, this is I think 2019. No, maybe early 2020. It's got to be 2019. No, it was 2019. It, it's 2018. Yeah. Tw early 2019. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it okay? So um, I know I was years. Not I know it's weird. Yeah, with 2020 <laughs> gone, it's like yeah, so exactly. Weird. Uh, I'm chatting with Amber. At this point, I was producing a lot of content about polyamory, but nothing about nothing really about kink yet. It, it had people weren't asking that, and I was and continued to be in an open public poly relationship with my fiance, Amanda Bucci, who's and, amazing. Who is amazing, and Amber knew that because Amanda obviously has her own business, and so it's a lot of overlap. She's talking to Amber, and she says, "You have to meet." my friend, Rachel, Rachel is Polly, but they're like, she's just, just starting to explore Polly and brings you over to me and you're bubbly and bright. And we, we had, you know, the, the freshman Polly conversation, how long have you been open? What's going on? And at this point, it was just you and Kyle. Yeah. And you were telling me, I have this amazing husband. We've been together. I think, was it seven years at that point? Probably. Yeah. Right. Somewhere and around there. In that, in that area. And you had just decided to open up. And I, I think at this stage, you were not publicly by yet. You had not come out. 
I, I was publicly bi, not publicly poly. Okay, got it. Yeah. So it yeah, was yeah, yeah. So you were in your early expression, and yeah. <clears throat> so we had a lovely conversation, and that just led to uh, to uh, the initial stages of our friendship, which included a date. We went on a lovely date. We had fun. Told me all about Kyle, and then I did the thing that I always do whenever I see an opportunity to improve somebody's life through a particular community. We were hanging out and I said, I think we were hanging out on like a Wednesday. And I asked, hey, what are you doing Friday night? Do you and Kyle want to come to a sex party? <laughs> and then I got to the, this, my favorite thing to do is be like the Obi-Wan to everyone's sex party, Luke Skywalker. Which and, you were. Which was great. Or in this case, Ray. 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 <laughs> And uh, and so we went to a sex party together where we did not play. We actually did not play together at that. At that time. We met other people mm -hmm. and I I don't always play at parties. I, I sometimes don't feel turned on by the experience of the party. I really go for the community. And that is really what I wanted to introduce you to that night. Yeah. Because early in your poly journey, it is it feels very lonely. I think less so now because there are people like you and I creating all this content. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I remember what it was like, even living in New York City, to come out as Polly and then still hang out with all of your monogamous friends. <laughs> and then you just, you feel like you're on display. There's this zoo animal type of experience where yeah. everyone is just all these monogamous married people are like, so like how many girlfriends can you have? <laughs> are you forming like, a harem? What is going yeah, on? That, that was the question that I got a lot because, yep. you know, my experience of Polly is very, you know, I live like the, the straight male fantasy of Polly where it's, it's me and a lot of bisexual women, which is, which is, a, you know, its own thing. But I really wanted to introduce you to the community. And, um, and that was, it's always joy to see people be welcomed in. And it was, and I think we wound up going, we went to two. Mm -hmm. I actually think the first one, there was a little bit of play. Okay. The second one, there was not. Okay. That may, yeah, that sounds right to me. Uh, the, one of them, we wore top hats. Kyle and I wore top hats. So that, I think it was like yes. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that was the first one. And that was actually the first time Kyle had ever met someone that I had gone on a date with. Yes, I remember that that was going to happen, and that, yeah. that was a new experience for the two of you. Mm -hmm. And I, Kyle, and I hit it off right away. It was such a it's yeah. Such a you guys, we ha and we have Kyle and I have our own little Lord of the Rings driven meme relationship, and we have three years strong <laughs> where we send each other Lord of the Rings memes <laughs> on Instagram. It's one of my favorite little Instagram relationships that I have, and that's great. And yeah, such a such a beautiful thing to to watch your your journey blossom and, and you, you because you guys like dove in. Yeah, we dove the fuck in. And you know what's wild is we're no longer uh, a part of the community in which you yeah, took same. us to. Um, but and uh, if it weren't for that, I would not have met Yair and Ashley because it was that community that went online when COVID first started. Yes. This was like right before we left um, where I met Yair. And so had you not been like, hey, want to go to this thing? Who knows what would have not happened? So thank you. Well, oh, well, thank you. I don't, I certainly can't take credit, but I'm happy to move the pieces into play. So it's, <laughs> it's, up, it's up to you to make the right moves. But yeah, it was, it's cool to see because the outside perspective of the early stages 
of the polycule coming together was really polyfidelity. It's we are going to be dating each other, but mostly due to COVID. Yeah. Not a lot outside of that. And that was so very different from my early poly experience, which was more partnered non-monogamy. I had been, I was dating someone and then we played a lot together. And I think this is going back maybe to 20, late 2016 when I really started diving in. Um, And we wound up in a triad. But even then we were bringing a lot of other play parties in. my my early experiences were very slutty and that was available. Yeah. And even in my, my relationship now, while I have had deeper relationships with other people, it's really Amanda is the sun at the center of my universe. And I am a planet who revolves around her and all of my partners are like moons and they revolve around me. And sometimes I'm very lucky and the sun and the moon are in the sky at the same time. <laughs> but it, they're really, it, it is really like we have this central thing and we dedicate a lot to our relationship. And then I spend, you know, a day or a week being a complete and total whore. And then every now and again, Amanda finds someone, she's like, I really like a person. I'm going to date them for a while. And I, I am more like, like you mentioned, yeah, year was, um, I, I'll fuck anybody. That's my thing. I love, I just love connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I think at the end of the day, you and I, uh, you and I knew that there was like a very nice bond that we had formed and like friendship that we wanted to explore. And so like very consciously transitioned out of any possibility Mm-hmm. of like, oh, do you want to go on another date? And it was more like, hey, like, do you want to build this friendship and like be in community together? And I loved that. It was one of the first conversations I ever had like that where it was named. And I was like, yeah. this itself could give me an orgasm. Like literally having this conversation is the sexiest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> there is something sexy and and unfortunately a little bit novel yeah. about being so clear. I I think one of the hottest things in the world is certainty. Yes. Uncertainty. It's so strange when you go back to sort of, you know, cishet monogamous sort of default, cultural default. There's a lot of just not knowing where the fuck you are in relation to another person, what they feel, what they want. So that anytime they give you attention, it's quixotic. It's very arousing. Yeah, because you're that's a, you know you're moving slowly towards certainty, whereas the way I conduct myself, and I don't think that this is necessarily a feature of poly, although it is required for poly to function. I know I teach many monogamous people to do that. Just yeah. say what you want and where you are, and when you do that, you remove this feeling of dysregulating uncertainty, and you just yeah. know these are the available options, and I get to choose mm-hmm. what works for me. And so that conversation between us where we both realized this is a, this is a very good thing. This is a good, good possible. We get along well. There's an exciting uh, just sort of energy between us and the, the, the logistical element and all the other, it was just at trying to date. Yeah. We weren't going to see each other. And it was just, yep. it, yeah, just, it just wasn't, wasn't enough of a draw, but the friendship was very, very exciting. Yeah. And that conversation is one that I've been able to have with, with dozens of people over the years. And, it's really cool when it's not just lip service. It's very, yes. very, very endearing when you say, oh, no, I think I just want to be friends. And then you're, then 
four years later, you're right. Here we are. (laughs) I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive, and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150 card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework adapted and approved by me that guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code Rachel for 30% off the new After Dark deck. I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation. You mentioned that a while back you were making more content around polyamory, non-monogamy, and it wasn't until a bit more recently that you started talking about like kink and drugs and goblining. Um, (laughs) Will you share a little bit about that and and how you kind of started feeling comfortable opening up in that way? Certainly. My, uh, so I'll, I'll tell it sort of linearly. In 2018, I started dating Amanda, late 2018, and we were poly from the beginning. It was her first poly relationship. And historically, I have always, I've always mentioned sex in my content, whether it was when I was a fitness professional. I've talked about sex pretty freely. Not necessarily the kind of sex that I like to have. I never was really talking about being a dom or, uh, but just sex and how important Mm -hmm. it is to life. So Amanda and I get together. And I think it was probably May of 2019. So we've been together about six months where she decided kind of unilaterally, we had, we had a conversation after she had written the post that she was going to come out to the world. As, I remember as, this. As Polly. And that was not that scary to me. I had been publicly Polly. I had been in a public tribe before, but Amanda at that time had well in excess of 500,000 followers. Yeah. And my following comparatively smaller, uh, particularly on Instagram. You know, my, my biggest following back in the day had been Facebook and I had a big email list. So I had my fan base who were very much opted into John. They love me. But there's all these new people who were opted into Amanda. And when she came out as Polly, it was, it was vicious. So many people, firstly, shitting on poly or non-monogamy in general, a lot of religious backlash, but my experience was very challenging in that many of her people out of pure love for her were protective in a way that invalidated us, were protective in a way where they were tearing me down. This guy's manipulative. One day you're going to wake up. And, And it turned when she was holding her 
integrity. And we had very long conversations in the comments where we were just like not fighting, but explaining, mm-hmm. holding space for people's experience. There were a lot of there were months and months and months. Whenever she posted a picture of us, people were like, I can't wait till he breaks your heart and you wake up. So things that people were oh. wishing pain upon her, John is going to somehow break your heart. He's manipulating you. like, And, and also the belief that it's all about me. I just fuck right. whoever I want. And Amanda's not out there like, you as know, though she doesn't want it as well. Right. As though she doesn't do it as though yeah. she doesn't want it. And more importantly, invalidating her bisexuality, which she was, right. you know, really starting to express. And yeah. so at that point, you know, I, the content was really about Polly because that's what people asked about. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud to say that between I guess May 2019 and now just July uh, 2022. So this is just over three years. Some of the people who on that post were the loudest critics are now my fiercest evangelists. And there have been hundreds of people who, who have started to explore Polly. And I think early on those conversations triggered them. They saw the opportunity that maybe they thought they could never have my husband would never go for this or no one is going to want to do this with me. So I'm not going to project my shit onto them as to what specifically it was, but I do know that many of them are, are now rabid fans and we post content about ourselves. And and now instead of he's manipulating you or this is going to end, or I can't wait to see this blow up in your face. Now it's, Oh my God, you guys are couple goals. And that transition has been nice. God, so, that's got to feel so fucking good. It is, it is, you know, validating. It's like it feeling vindicated in that way yeah. because my love for Amanda is one of the best things I've ever experienced in my life. And to have it so commonly and aggressively questioned was hard because yes. I, from the outset, I have been an amazing partner to Amanda. I love her so much. I love our relationship. I love who I get to be in it. And that was hard. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> But the the content that I created, because I do Q and A's, has pretty much been in response to the questions being asked. Right, right. Then we're seeing other people, and COVID happens, and now we're everybody's locked in, and I have a lot more time to do these Q and A's, and right around this time. I connected with Lena Dune of Ask Us Up. Mm. And I saw Lena answering questions about kink and BDSM. And that gave me some courage. And I started sharing some of her work. And then when I started doing Q&As, or or when I was doing Q&As, some questions about kink got peppered in. And that just sort of snowball. I began answering them instead of ignoring them. Um, now, did you have to have a conversation with Amanda always, about? Always, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was because she's, she's very comfortable with me sharing anything about my past. But right. Any, anything that gives a window into our sex like life. Like current sex life. Yeah. Right. But even, even talking about how I'm a dom and I'm kinky, that, you know, sort of implies, in, that, implies she, yeah, that she yeah. is a sub or, or that we yeah. have kinky sex. So there was um, a slow escalation of the type of things I would share. But over time, it snowballed. And 
then the questions just got a lot more tactile and, a yeah. lot, you know, and, and then just more frequent. And it's a very talk aboutable thing. Right. Kink is very interesting. And, and yeah. it's also applicable to everyone who, or, or rather it, it doesn't, it doesn't constrain itself to people who are poly. All yeah. of the monogamous people who they would ask questions like, how many girlfriends do you have? Now they're like, okay, well, how can I do this with my husband? This is so interesting. Yes. And, and, you know, I think accounts like Lena's and mine and yours have disabused people of the misconceptions that they may have had around kink. Because so many, yeah. myself included, when I was 25 and I was first exposed to kink, my impression of it was it is rich guys, CEOs who are masters of their universe and then they find some woman to be mean to them because that's the only place anybody's pushing back against them. So, you know, what my, my experience, so interesting. it was all filtered through media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because When I was 25 and I first was with a woman who was a dom and wanted me to learn to be her dom, there was a big underground scene. Of course, it's been there forever, but my initial impression was what had been sort of, I, I had passively, passively absorbed through mainstream media. And so I knew a lot of people had the same just experience and they yeah. thought it was one thing. And so I set about to clear up those misconceptions. And, uh, and I, got, I get a lot of public latitude because when you are in a relationship with a woman and you are in a happy relationship, you just seem less creepy. It's this halo effect. <laughs> of here is, no, this is true. It, it's no, like, yeah. Here, here is like this good looking white presenting couple and because of the way we've been indoctrinated into yeah. you know, cultures of like white supremacy and, and pretty privilege, I, I become like a, a kind of trustworthy avatar to talk yeah. about these things. And Lena obviously has her experience of being anonymous and people can, can project. So that's really how it started. It was 2020 and I was spending a lot of time being bored and <laughs> answering questions and then one thing led to another questions about poly led to questions about kink led to deeper questions all of these things now people ask you know very very tactile questions they're, they, yeah. they they're very granular about their sex lives and and my sex life there's quite quite a lot out there and people, how do you choose where to draw the line <laughs> and is there a line i look at When people talk about comfort zone and they talk about success happens outside your comfort zone, I, I look, I believe that comfort zones expand. Hey, me too. That's, so, I always give my clients the visual of standing in the middle and like pushing it out, not like yeah. actually stepping out of it. Exactly. I look at it like if, if your comfort zone is, if there's a line, you, you like stand with your toes over the line. You don't, if, if you go 10 feet outside your comfort zone, that's trauma. That's terrifying. Correct. You feel naked <laughs> yeah. and exposed. But exactly. if, you, if, you go, <clears throat> if you go to the edge of your comfort zone, it expands, you know, six inches in either direction. And then you just keep doing that. So I'm, I, I think that every single person in terms of what they want to share, they, sh you, you, you find your level of comfort, whatever your edge is, and then you do it. And then you wait and you're waiting for someone to judge you or, or, yeah. or you're waiting for the world to end and things to collapse, <laughs> but you share the thing that at that moment, you're like, this is the absolute scariest thing I can share. And you wait. And then 
five minutes, nothing happens. And two, you know, two hours, nothing happens. And then the next day you wake up and the sky is still above you. The earth's still below the world spins on. And now everyone, instead of saying that was super weird, John, like, thank you so much for sharing that. That helped me. Now I understand my husband better. And then a week later, you get another question. That's like, Oh, this is scary. And you just keep doing it. So I decide what to share. One, I do have to be mindful of what Instagram is going to allow me to share yeah. without, without kicking yeah. me off, my, off the platform. Which is frustrating in itself. It is. It is. I am very solicitous about sharing too much about other people from my past. So mm-hmm. I, I, when I share certain stories, particularly if they're very granular, I make sure that the names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. I'm, I, you know, with, because I don't want to share something without consent. And, and, I, and I do my best to sort of obfuscate the details of it so that there are people who have been following for a long time. If I tell a story, if it has dates attached, they can sort of place where that happens right. in, the, in the timeline of my life. And they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's this. That's so and so. So if I'm, you know, so there's that. As for what is happening in my life right now, uh, I, I talk with Amanda. That's the, that is the person with whom I'm sharing my life. There's nothing about my own experience that I, I won't share under the right set of circumstances if I can, if I can mm-hmm. help someone with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel any more shame about any of the things that I'm doing sexually. I, uh, but there are, there are you know, moments where you're like, yeah, okay, today's the day I'll share that. And recently... I, I came out as queer and that's like, supposed I love to be a this big, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. That's supposed yeah. to be a big deal. But for me, I was like, I'm not any, you know, ultimately I'm a person who has always believed I'm going to tell this a different way. I'm going <laughs> to tell you about one of the first screenplays I ever wrote. And so Perfect. I wrote a screenplay and it, there's four friends in there. And one of them is Derek and Derek is uh, an actor. And Derek comes back and he tells his friends about this experience he had with a guy. And um, his friend, Mike, asks, so are you like gay now? Are you bi? And he's like, I don't think I'm gay. I think I'm like, I think I'm like vampire gay. And, and Mike <laughs> is like, what the fuck is vampire gay? And so Derek explains, through Derek, I'm explaining in the screenplay, my view that vampires are all sort of a little androgynous and a little bit queer for two reasons one once you become a once you're dead you stop caring what everyone thinks and so like maybe if you know through life you were putting yourself in a box that box evaporates but also after 400 years maybe you just want to change right so for me there's this dual experience of i no longer feel constrained but i've also had sex with like so many women that under, and I've had so many weird sexual experiences that under the set of circumstances that there's like a guy there, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'll try it. And so my experience of my own queerness has always been, I'm open to just about anything yeah. under the right set of circumstances. And those circumstances are now expanding. And Love that. I was always hesitant to say that I'm anything other than straight. Why? There was less about whatever judgment I might get from straight people, but more that like I felt that by claiming the queer label, Mm. I was somehow inserting myself into a group of people 
without ever having dealt with the struggle that queer people deal with. I'm a, you know, I'm a straight passing, white passing, educated, wealthy guy. I'm like my, I live, I have like all, all of the privilege. I, I lead a relatively charmed life in that regard. And to start saying I was queer or I was bi, I felt like an imposter, right? And it was really Amanda and a lot of your content, you started sharing, because there's a lot of bi erasure and bi women are sort of thought as like straight who fuck women for yep. men and, and bi guys are thought of as, as gay guys who just, you know, don't know it. Haven't yet. decided yet. <clears throat> yeah. And so Amanda, in her exploration of her bisexuality, was spending a lot of time on TikTok and bi TikTok is very affirming. And so there are so many pieces of content that like, if you are 95% straight and 5% gay and you want to call yourself bi, you're still bi. And that really like worked for her because at that time she had had a couple of sexual experiences with, with women, but had been attracted to women her life. She just, you know, am I gay enough to call myself bi? Which I think right. every bi person listening to this will get. Oh, so yeah. I, yeah, I was just always hesitant to claim this label because I was like, uh, but I'm like, I'm in, all I do is like, I mostly fuck women. And then like, yeah, like I'll, I'll fucking do if he's there. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to pursue it. So right. for me, it, it ultimately came down to, I feel that my, my template has expanded. I do think that there was a lot of some shame there. You know, there's some yeah. indoctrinated, ingrained, cultured homophobia, but now I feel that more and more I'm, I'm open to allowing myself to expand and explore in whatever direction. And I think that openness and that willingness, that's the queer part yeah. because that's the yeah. thing. The, the difference is like, I know that I'm not straight or not a hundred percent straight. I've been with, um, you know, non-binary people. I've been with it, I, I do, actually, this is a, a language thing that I'd love your help with. Yeah. I don't know if I would say I've been with trans people because I've been with people who, when we were together, were, they were presenting as cis or they identified as cis and they are now non-binary and or trans. So I, as, as far as I know, as a trans person, you're always, you're always the gender, you know? So yeah. um, I don't I know mean, what it is all about. I think that's a question for them. I've I, I asked that question. I, I asked my uh, a friend of mine who um, birth sign female now uh, transitioning, and they say, "Just say you've been with me, but you are mm -hmm. with a person who I was trans when we were together, but I was I was living as cis. I was a closeted trans person. Yeah, and I was like, this is such a, an interesting thing to nat for a person who loves language, like navigating that linguistically. Right. Like, All right. Well, then yes, right. I've been with trans people. Do you, do you think that talking about all of this, whether it's on Instagram, here, other podcast episodes you've done, how do you think that's impacted your own processing of shame? That's a great question. I think, I think that you have to be careful with the way that you allow public sharing to affect you. Because when you share things that you might feel ashamed of and other people react to them, you might allow yourself to skip over acceptance in favor of validation. 
Mm. And so if I share that I had an experience with a man recently and I feel some sort of shame about it, but I share it on Instagram and now I'm, you know, like getting laurels thrown at me by the queer community. Like, thanks for being brave. Thanks for, you know, and then there's all these women just like, that's so hot. I'm allowing myself to, to process this experience through the lens of other people telling me how great it is instead of sitting with it myself. And I think, I think that is a danger for a lot of people when you share so much, the validation you get and the acceptance you get from people can be just as. Like it can replace the self-acceptance. Precisely. Because if all of those people responded negatively, would I then like die of shame? Would I be crawling back inside? So ultimately I want everybody to get to the point where you have, you know, that equanimity, that certitude, that regardless of the outcome of your share, you feel stable and centered. And I, so I try to cultivate that. So I, I think, um, it's nice to have people say nice things and it's nice to have everybody see be so accepting and, and the queer community be so welcoming. Yeah. Welcome, but, by the way, I never oh, officially thanks. welcomed you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, it's nice to be here. Um, it was really exciting to watch because, you know, I had heard some of these stories, just you and me talking mm-hmm. offline mm-hmm. and to watch the journey of you sharing them publicly and then also claiming this label has just been so beautiful and I'm sure so inspiring for so many people and in turn giving them permission to explore it for themselves. That is a big thing. And I, it makes me realize how much power there is in, in what we do. And that is yeah. something that really needs to be exercised judiciously. Yeah. Because after I shared, a few dozen men were in my DMs and they're like, oh, you know, I kind of want to have experience with men or I, I have like my, my friend and I used to get drunk and suck each other off. Like maybe I'm by, I'm like, maybe don't ask me. I'm not yeah, out yeah. here. Like I'm not out here knighting people. <laughs> it's not my job to, to knight. Like I just got here. I don't know. I, I just am, joined this club. Yeah, it's like, I... I am not the way the mayor of queer town. Like yeah. I do not know what the rules are. Uh, if you feel that you're by, sure. Then you're by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you feel you're gay, yeah. you're gay. I don't, I'm not here to tell anyone yeah. what they are or are not. I, what I'm going to tell you is that whatever it is, it's okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to pivot for a second. Yeah. One of the other things that you are super open about online, which I find incredibly um, <clears throat> admirable, especially in today's world, is drug use. Yeah. And I love how you talk about it as someone who has worked in substance abuse as a therapist and mm-hmm. then as someone who has their own journey with drugs and experimentation and also is super you know you know about my ketamine treatments mm. and like all of these things i find the way that you share about drugs to be so responsible so educational and so free of the stigma that our society has put on them and I'm curious what inspired you to start talking about, was it the questions you were getting and, and like, why do you think people are so curious and anything you want to say on this? Cause it's, I don't know anyone sure. else on the internet that talks about drugs like this. The honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, 
good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. I grew up, so I'm, I'm 40 now, right? So I was born in the year of our Lord, 1982. And so I went through my scholastic period at the height of Just Say No. Right. I, some of my, like some of the best pieces of, of propaganda <laughs> were, um, I, I'd watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. And then at the end of the episode, right. They would eat, they give you the little piece of propaganda. There's a couple that I remember. I remember like there was one where Raphael was brushing his teeth and le- and he like left the water running and Donatello came and turned the water off and he would, like explained about wasting water. And then I remember another one where it, it was, um, you know, about like littering and how, how the, the plastic rings that go on top of soda yep. will, will like choke dolphins. And then there were other ones about drugs and these mm-hmm. it's, it's the best marketing I've ever seen because even now, 30 years later, I have very, very clear images of all of these, pieces of marketing and it worked on me. I can you relate know? to that. I remember the egg frying on yes. the cement, like this is your brain on drugs. Right. Yeah. This very is vividly. Yeah. And um, so this is your brain on drugs. Just say no. Yep. So I was, I was an AIDS peer educator in school. So I, I, I went and I, I, you know, when I was in ninth grade, I went to the middle school and told people about how like sexually transmitted disease happens. I was also in dare. Um, and so I was an anti-drug counselor. And I just, I'd I'd never taken drugs. I want my whole life not taking drugs. I didn't drink in high school. So part of the reason for this, both of my parents had drug problems when I was growing up. Mm. Um, Like many people in the eighties, my parents did a lot of cocaine. And like some of those people, it got out of hand. And my experience of drugs was it made my dad violent and, and my mom had a, a problem. And in addition to all of the other stuff that was going on in the house, that was an accelerant. And it wound, it, it led to um, Child Protective Services removing my sister and I at some point. Oh. So I grew up like, I will never do drugs. That's not for me. So throughout high school, I did not drink alcohol. I did not smoke pot. I did not do anything. And I had a lot of judgment about it. I carried all this stuff. Like, why would you want to do that? And a lot yeah. of it for me was like control. I didn't want to alter control. I started drinking casually when I was 26 years old. And the reason was, I've told this story before, but it's fun. I'll do an abridged version. I was Thank personal you. trainer at the time and I was homesick from the gym. So I was like, you know, spent, I had the flu on so two days of just being on the couch. So I was watching TV as one does. And I was watching the history channel and there was a of program on, that's what I would, you know, and the program on like the history of winemaking. And it <laughs> seemed so interesting to me that I ordered, I went on Amazon and I ordered the wine Bible and I learned all about these different varietals and all this stuff. I think I was 25. And so I learned from a very academic perspective. And then um, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole, like learning about not only the history of alcohol, but the way alcohol has played a role throughout history. And right around then I went to San Diego 
uh, with some friends to, to play poker. And we, we went up and down the coast going to a couple of different casinos. And while I was there, I went to a, a brewery, Stone Brewing Company. And I, I mostly went there because I, I love their marketing. And I wanted to learn more about how they do their copywriting. They do have great marketing. <clears throat> great marketing. Yeah. But they had a history of beer class. And so you would go, and so I didn't really drink, but I did this history of beer class. And, you know, they have all these different beers that are made from like recipe, old recipes. There's one called Midas Touch, which is um, like a recreated recipe from Mesopotamia. Wow. And so that was cool. And just seeing that. And then by the time I was like 26, I had this little epiphany that alcohol, that, that every culture in recorded history independent of one another, had found a way to ferment something and drink it to have this experience of euphoria for both celebration and solemnity. Like we have been drinking at weddings and funerals since the dawn of history. And I thought, well, this is good enough for the Babylonians, the Etruscans, the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Germanics. Maybe there's something here. Maybe I don't know everything. And so I started experimenting with alcohol academically because I was curious what there was. And, yeah. and I had a couple of good experiences with friends and I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I remember the first time I got like exactly the right amount of drunk. I was, it was out in San Diego again, playing poker one more time. And I was with my buddy Ross and, and Josh and we were at a bar and it was like two and a half drinks was, the, was for me. I was like, oh, this is fucking dope, right? And then I really fell in love with bourbon and went and did the bourbon trail and I learned about the history of bourbon. It's like the only real American spirit. So this is my early 20s. And that's it. I just am an alcohol person. I don't do drugs at all. And then um, I was in my early 30s. It was 2015. And I was living in California. I was unhappy in my marriage. And I was experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety. And I was on antidepressants. And my therapist didn't want to add an anti-anxiety to the mix. And he said, why don't you just use some cannabis at night? Because I was experiencing nighttime anxiety. And he's like, okay, well, let's start with edible cannabis to manage your anxiety. And I had never smoked weed before. I'd never done anything. So he sends me to the dispensary and I get these gummy bears. And each gummy <laughs> bear has five milligrams of okay. <laughs> of THC in it. And so I, I, I get a little, I was reading, I went on Reddit and I learned all about drugs and, um, cause I'm a fucking Perfect nerd. place to learn about drugs. A, yeah. It's a, actually Reddit is a great drug community. Yeah, no, so it's, I, like, it's I got myself a little, a little notebook. And so I would record the experience of like, all right, I've taken five milligrams at night on an empty stomach and this is what I feel. And so I just got more comfortable there. And then I was at Ryan Holiday's wedding. I'm going to drop a couple of names, guys. Everybody be impressed with how cool my friends are. <laughs> New York Times bestselling author Ryan Holiday was getting married and he invited me because I'm cool. Everyone and- not in the entrepreneur <laughs> community is like, who the fuck is that? But look him up. He's a wonderful Ryan, he's great. Wonderful Ryan is guy. the author of a number of books about yeah. stoicism yeah, yeah, and yeah, philosophy. Yeah. And so another, a number of other entrepreneurs there and um, two of them, one of them was Tim Ferriss, who wrote the 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Chef, Tools of Titans, has a big podcast. Tim was talking about psychedelics and how mm. impactful they had been for his development and for healing and all these things. And he was talking about that with a couple of other people. And they spent a lot of time talking about ayahuasca. And I was feeling very uncomfortable. And I went to the bathroom and I realized I still had all this judgment around drugs. And, but I realized that I'm 
this judgment is informed by my father. Here is a guy, mm. I haven't had a relationship with this dude in 25 years, and his behaviors when I was nine are informing my entire position on an entire class of substances. And I thought, how can I shift this? Here are a group of men outside who have earned my respect a dozen times over talking yeah. about the value of these drugs for their experience. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do ayahuasca at some point. And maybe I'll do mushrooms at some point. And so Tim and I talked that night and Tim told him I wanted to try mushrooms. And he's like, very excited. And he's like, I want to Sherpa you through your first mushroom experience. That's and amazing. I, it's beautiful. I agreed to this thinking it was going to happen because like, you can't, you can't, Tim is the busiest guy in the world. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> but a few months later, I was gifted some MDMA. So now I'm 34 years mm. old. I'm living in Manhattan. Uh, it's like 2016 and I was gifted some MDMA and it was a, a very, very clean source. It was from a lab from a person I knew and I sat on it for like six months. But then one night with my best friend and the woman I was dating at the time, we decided to take it. And within 45 minutes of taking this pill, I was like, I have never been so fucking wrong about anything <laughs> of my entire life. What the fuck is wrong with me that I waited so long to have this experience? And it was, it, Rachel, it was an experience. It was a beautiful yeah. experience. It wasn't like running around New York City doing coke in bathrooms. Right. It was sitting on a couch in my apartment with my best friend, Chris, holding his hand for six hours. As, and also the woman I, I was dating at the time was there, but like, it was like me and Chris, like cuddling and like just I talking to her. And I was able to just feel things I had not felt oh, in a very, I, I don't know about ever. And it allowed me to get in touch with my inner child. It allowed me to get in touch with this feeling of, of, of love and connection and just have easy conversations. <clears throat> and that changed my life. That day in my apartment on, or that evening in my apartment on yeah. Jones Street in the West Village, was so profound and formative for me. And I thought, okay, what else? And that's when I started experimenting. Uh, the next thing was LSD, which was a great experience. But MDMA really was like, it, it, it still is the foundational piece of my drug experience. And so I dove in. And again, as I talked about with the alcohol, when I get into something, I learn everything there is about it. So I yeah. have read read every book on MDMA and ecstasy, I began to, to learn how it was criminalized for no reason in the early 1970s and how there were people who were using it for therapy. It really was a therapeutic drug and then yep. it was banned. You can learn all of this stuff, by the way, in a book called Change Your Mind or How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And if you don't feel so like reading brilliant. it, there is a Netflix documentary series with four episodes. One of them is on MDMA. But so now I'm becoming like this awakened person through the use of drugs. And um, most of the time I was using it for ha to have these experiences, but often I, like my friends and I would go out and we would just take it at bars and it was just beautiful. And we'd like party. And so over the past seven years, I have come to a place where like, this is a part of my life and I'm not interested in hiding it. I'm not out here being an advocate. I do not I do, I, I'm an advocate for responsible drug use. I'm not pushing drugs on anyone. I don't think everyone should do them. I think you should do what you want. 
but my experiences have been so uniformly and profoundly beautiful that hiding this and not talking about it feels like hiding a part of myself because it very is, it very much is a part of my life. And I'll, I'll say this before I let you ask some questions. I'm very grateful that I came to it when I did. Like I came to drugs as a responsible, like 34, 35 year old man. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't like, you know, again, wasn't doing blow in high school. Right. This was really intentional use. And now I I talk about it so much and I use drugs a lot. Like I, I, I use ketamine probably four times a week, but the way that I use ketamine is I like Amanda and I are hanging out watching TV and we'll like, you know, I have ketamine in a little spray bottle from my doctor. I get it prescribed. And I take like a little spray in each nostril, which for me is like about the equivalent of having a glass of wine. And I get all of the benefits of, of like unwinding and relaxing without any of the negative effects of alcohol. Yep. And ketamine is really beautiful for that. So I can be very casual about it. And I don't think that it always needs, like when you're talking about plant medicines like mushrooms and ayahuasca. It, there is a sacredness to it, but sometimes you could just take mushrooms in Central Park and write in your journal and have right. a beautiful day. Yeah. Not, not everything needs to be ceremonial, even when yeah. it's sacred. And not yeah. everything needs to be healing and profound. Like it's, you can have, like partying is just as important as profundity and, you know, casualness is not the same as being cavalier. And oh, that's really I where that. I sit. John, I, you're going to have to come back on because we're hitting our time and I, I know, I know. Um, and I could talk to you for hours. I mean, we could talk for hours. I want to just close up with anything that you want to leave everyone listening with. And I know that that is so fucking broad because you have so much to say and so much knowledge. Any, ah, uh, God, I want everybody to play with their buttholes. That's, that's what I will say. We'll end <laughs> with that. You. Go explore your butt if you haven't. It's, it's, I, I yes. always, I always tell it this way. I'll do it. I'll, I'm going to, we're going to go over time by two minutes. Imagine you grow up in a crazy big house, like a Richie Rich style mansion, right? And you've, you really just love all of the experiences of being in this house and there's a game room and it's got all the games in the world and it's got everything from, you know, from, from skee-ball to battleship to all of the video games and you, and you spend your life enjoying this game room. And one day you invite a friend over and they are like, this is a huge fucking house. Let's explore a little bit. And they take you by the hand and in your exploration, you turn a corner and bam, you find another game room and this game room is different but it's just as good as the first one. And that <laughs> second game room, my friends, is your butthole. And I encourage you to find all the games you can play with it because I promise you, outside of just the pleasure it can bring you, the, the uh, erosion of whatever taboo you feel around that, yeah. I, I really do think it, it can be a, a doorway to self-acceptance and pleasure and, and the, the defeat of shame. So I love this. You know, for every episode, I have to pick like a minute to put in an audiogram for this Instagram. Is it, right? This is the minute right <laughs> this here. This is the minute. This right. is going to be the minute. Awesome. Play with your buttholes, kids. Oh, John, where can people find you if they don't already follow you, which they probably do? I The only place I exist is on Instagram. My, <laughs> my whole life is in Instagram q and So it's at John Romanello. And I also will take this opportunity. I don't know when this is going to get published, but um, 
you will be able to listen to me on my own podcast. I'll be yes. co-hosting with my best friend, Chris Coulson. It is called so My funny. Chemical Bromance, and it is going to cover the beauty of male friendships, but also uh, also drugs and, um, and neuroscience and all of the aspects of our life that feed into that type of long-term pair bonding that we experience with our friends. I'm so fucking excited for that. Thank you. Talk about binge listening. I'm going to just like <laughs> consume be, the good. shit out of that. I think you'll oh, like John, thank you. I love you. You're wonderful. I love you too. Have a great day. Thank you. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.